I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. Everybody, it's Oops the Podcast. I'm Francis, and I'm a little pissed off today. He's Julia. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> what's up, man? Let him let us know what's going on. How you yeah, doing? you know, I, I I just can't. There's no think about when we before all this, we had a podcast studio. We had our seats, our individualized microphones. I know it was locked and loaded every time we wanted to work and now finding a space that's quiet where at a time where she my girlfriend doesn't have a have to you know bring a new hire and teach her the ropes (laughs) there's so much distraction and noise and and i just ah i i'm angry (laughs) um i'm sorry man i'm sorry you know i understand that quarantine life I mean, I haven't been with my girlfriend still, but I imagine that when I am, I'm going to have similar problems. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if you're better off. Dude, you know what we've been doing? This is like kind of embarrassing to admit, but like, dude, we haven't seen each other in literally three months. That's mental. That's it's like crazy. you're at war, like you're a soldier. Yes, exactly. Have you um, guys been writing each other letters? I actually wrote her a letter once. That's very sweet. Just to be sweet. Okay, sorry. What were you going to say? No, no, it's okay. But this is, a, this is something, you know, along those lines. What we do is we try to do this thing where we sleep together, where we leave the phone on. Oh, my God. <laughs> For the entire night. What, on FaceTime? Uh, well, usually just on a phone call, which is actually starting to stress me out because there's a chance that my phone bill is just going to be insane. But I'm pretty sure I have unlimited minutes. But, uh, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, we go to bed, and then when I wake up, it's it can be nice because you feel like you're waking up with her, with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> for, <laughs> for any other couples who are who are separated during this. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I don't I don't want to make fun because I'm not going to make fun. You can, you can. I'm not going to make fun. I, it just seems. Ah, like like you wake up in the middle of the night and you'll hear someone farting through the phone (laughs) or i don't know i it's so um so futuristic of you i know well dude it's funny if i'm if i have to make any sort of gross sound or anything loud i mute it i mute it typically but you're like in the middle of the night obviously sometimes i'll forget that we're doing it like i don't forget but i'm i'm not hearing anything and then she'll she'll make a deep breath and i get startled i'm like i think something's yeah. in the room and i remember that i'm actually on the phone with her unbelievable dude there's um <laughs> i don't know i don't know that i that it would help me sleep to hear the sleep sounds of someone else coming through the phone like <laughs> I, I i've i've used my phone to help me sleep before but i've, I've only ever listened to like babbling brook or airplane cabin or you know and i think we've talked about that yeah i have uh, a, i have that app as well it's the best not not girlfriend in california <laughs> <laughs> so 
sleeping girlfriend in California. <laughs> the quarantine update, girlfriend in California. I'm out in 30 seconds, dude. Dude, you have to. It does make me wonder, though, like how many lonely dudes out there are like paying for what you're doing with your girlfriend. Yeah, it's fucking funny, dude. Oh, uh, it is a little. Have you seen the movie Her? Um, of course. It's amazing. Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. Uh, it's a bit like that, you know? Totally. You're, you're <laughs> but I guess, I guess your girlfriend's real, so that's good. Um, <laughs> Wait, in her, he, I just, I remember it, that at the end, she like completely is over him and she, he finds out she's been talking to like millions of other guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, does he ever actually, I forget, does he ever actually meet her? No, I don't think so. You can't, right? It's just she talks to you through the house, like an Alexa kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, she's, she's his Alexa, basically. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but then they, the sex scene was the one that was so wild. How, and how did that work again? They had, like, phone sex with each other. Oh, right, right, right. You know, and, and it was her idea, I think. Fucking, there, you ever see that movie Ex Machina? Yeah, that one's good, too. Those movies are both the kind of movies that just make you feel, like, fucked up after. Yeah, and also make me feel like I could never write a movie. Because, like, <laughs> I watched, all right, no, no, I watched Super Bad, right? So, and I was like, I could see myself trying to write something like this. Right. You know, high schoolers go to a party, you know, whatever. Uh, Ex Machina and her are so far beyond the realm of what my brain is capable of doing. I don't know how humans get there. 100%. true of Christopher Nolan. Like, I don't understand how he sees the vision for Interstellar or Inception. Dude, 100%. I think about that all the time. Um, and I get frustrated. Like, if I, could do th if I could do it all over again, dude, like, I would definitely focus and, and there's no way to, to do this you know it's easy to obviously hindsight's 2020 or whatever but i would try to set myself on a trajectory to like really master something and not stand up you know what i mean like stand up you know i'm not and i'm not suggesting i'm come anywhere near mastering that obviously but like the christopher nolans of the world like you know they definitely like they work under other great directors and producers and like they really learn and then all of a sudden they can start making fucking big movies like that you know what i mean i would love to get into some kind of fast track like that was were this? those guys were those guys like production assistants on Spielberg movies? I have no fucking idea, but like I'm, ass I'm assuming they were, and they say that that's how the chain works. Like you get in as a PA, and then you kind mm. of in ten years, all of a sudden you're doing cool shit. I guess I don't know. Well, one of the cool things you see is when actors start directing. I like right. that. I do too. Like uh, Jason Bateman, you know, has directed and written so many episodes of, of Ozark now. And I'm sure that when he was cast on Arrested Development, I think he did, I think he had worked when he was like a child too, but then he came out and, you know, really got a big second wave with Arrested Development. Uh, I think he was probably just an actor, like a comedic actor, you know, like right. being like, oh, thank God I have this part. And now he's like this architect of worlds. Right. Because he's been around film sets so long. Totally. You know that um, Steve Carell would write and direct episodes of The Office towards the later seasons too? Wow. That's awesome, man. That doesn't yeah. surprise me. And dude, that's the thing. It's like, there's so many unbelievably talented people in what we do. Like even dude, like I, I, so many comedians that I know, even people who aren't doing that well or like 
nobody knows who they are or whatever. Like I hold so many people in high regard. I'm like, that person's really creative. That person's really creative. Like, and it's about kind of getting the opportunity to execute that because mm-hmm. people, they put us in a box in entertainment. You know what I mean? And like, it's rare to have the Donald Glovers where they're like, you can do all these things if you want, we'll support you. Like the yes. industry, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not taking away from him. He's incredibly talented. He's a, he's notoriously hardworking and focused and smart. And I'm not in any way taking away from him, but being able to have, to get to a point where you're allowed to do all that is in and of itself a feat. It really is. And I'm a big fan of Donald Glover, and I think, I think he's spectacular. But one thing I've noticed about him is that if you go back and you watch him in interviews or just being a normal dude, being himself, uh, let's say like six or seven years ago, around the time when he was on Community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's this upbeat, lively, enthusiastic, goofy dude, right? And he was doing, he did a little bit of stand up. He was on that uh, sketch team from, I think it was called Stella uh, with, with his buddies from NYU. And then he started making music as Childish Gambino. And as, at first, it was rap. Right. And then he started experimenting with like sounds and, and synthesization and doing these sort of like uh, offbeat, weird you know, pitching his voice really high, red bone. Right. And then obviously cool. this is America. Mm-hmm. And now if you watch interviews with Donald Glover, he is n- no longer like the upbeat, quirky, goofy, affable, you know, kind of like babysitter dude. Right. He is a quiet his voice has dropped a few registers. He doesn't seem to make a lot of eye contact. It's as if he morphed into the more like, uh, you know, troubled, scatterbrained artist. But mm. I wonder how much of that is an affect as opposed to, you know, who he totally. really is. Totally. And I do, I think, I think a part of it is like, you're allowed to become what you want. You know what I mean? So I, and I think part of it, maybe he like, I'm not talking about him specifically, but you see people change, you know, and, and I think it might be one of those things where they want it to happen. And then it finally does actually happen. Like Kanye famously says, he's like, you knew, you knew me. That doesn't mean you know me now. What does that mean? It means that like the him then is not him now. So if you knew him 10 years ago, you don't know him because he's changed yeah. and evolved. Yeah. And, yes. and I, don't, I don't think it necessarily just means from a status perspective. I think he means like his mindset. And I think that it's healthy and important to evolve and change. And, and I think that if you don't, you kind of get stuck. Like the same way you ever go to, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody by saying this, but you ever go to like one of your friend's houses from high school and you go there and it's exactly the same. Like their parents' house has not changed at all. There's something like, I don't, that, that bums me out about that. Yeah. Uh, I get that. I get that. Uh, I, okay. So, but I think like Kanye lost his mind a little. Okay. Fair. And, and, and some of his metamorphosis was due to mental illness. And I think he would admit that, right. He's checked himself into hospitals. He's done all that. Um, but I wonder like at what, how much of some of these changes are 
people, you know, gaining fame and power and then feeling like they need to act differently because of how the world perceives them or to change, you know, to change their own image. And you could also say, though, you could argue the opposite, where like now that they are rich and famous, they now have agency to behave how they truly are or how they, Uh, you know what I mean? Like they're more comfortable being themselves. I think what you're saying is more likely the plays a part maybe or maybe maybe it's a little bit of both but you're right it's like oh now you're the man you're confident and now you don't feel as self-conscious manufacturing some sort of persona or whatever yeah that's a fair point and by the way if there's ambient noise in this podcast you're not going to believe what just happened there are now people power washing the front of the house (laughs) power washing uh, in addition dude. to the dishwasher, we now have men with <laughs> fire hoses <laughs> taking off the paint from the front of the house so that they can repaint it. I mean, it's just. Guys, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, fill in the blanks here. If I were in a concert right now and I said, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, I'd then turn the microphone to all of you sitting in the stadium. And you would all yell, Anchor, Anchor. And then you'd say, go to anchor.fm to download the software where you could host your very own podcast, see all the best analytics. You could see it in a way that was really user-friendly and nice and not too technical and industry jargony. It's a way that any person can look at it and be like, ooh, that's pretty. And also it's our podcast. And there's no minimum listenership required to advertise and monetize. So you can immediately have ads when you hit the ground running. It's really exciting, really spectacular. If you want to start your very own podcast, anchor.fm download it now dude speaking right. of speaking of fire hoses yeah Ooh. Um, did you have another point to make about- no no no, no. I, I thought that was an interesting discussion though yeah for sure man i think your point letting people you know that people finally can they can become themselves now that they've reached what they want they say they can stop faking is an interesting i'm trying to think of a, of a person who's like that well here's an here's a good example with comedy like you know remember if you watch a really early richard pryor it's nothing like Mm. the Richard Pryor that we all know. And, and sure. the question is, do you have to play along until you don't have to play along anymore? Is that like a theme yeah, I, is that related? I think that's the case a lot of the time. But I also think you have examples of some people like Doug Stanhope who were themselves throughout. And right. the famous story about him was that, you know, in his early shows, he would walk half the audience. Right. But the half that remained loved him. Right. And slowly he carved out this fan base that was absolutely loyal and, and ravenous for his material. And, uh, and now he's, you know, self-sustaining, but you also look at, dude, I went and I, let me tell you something. This was very encouraging to me. I was listening to a Tom Segura album on Spotify. And I, I think Tom Segura is one of the funniest people going right now. Uh, and then after the album ended, it pulled up a track from a very, very old Tom Segura album. I mean, it was something mm-hmm. he recorded in Minnesota, probably like, you know, before all the specials, before all the, it might've been his first album. I don't know what it was. And his first 10 minutes are all basically crowd work about how cold it is in Minnesota. And I was mm-hmm. listening to this and I was thinking, huh, I, I would make jokes like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like the level that he was at when he recorded this album 
was not so far re- ahead of, of where I consider myself to be right now. And it, it was very encouraging to me because it made me realize that Tom Zagora was once not great. Right. right. And now he is so great. Right. So to see somebody like that or to see Dave Chappelle at a point where they're like, you never see that because we don't have tape often of these guys who are now megastars. Right. Uh, totally. You know, working on their early stuff, their early stages. But that I found, I was like, oh, Tom Segura at one point was as bad as I am. <laughs> Dude, you're not bad. What are you talking about? Well, um, I'm, I'm not Tom Segura is my point. I right. watch him now and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do what he does. It's too right. good. Right. And, you know, I think that this, this reminds me of an important point, especially the Doug Stanhope thing where, like, he was able to carve out his audience, whatever, you know. And when you start doing comedy, it's, it's a hard thing to start doing because nobody – it's hard to, be, to learn what you should be doing. You know what I mean? Like, no, even right. in a comedy class, they're not going to really say it accurately. Like, and no one's going to tell you who's ahead of you because they had to bust their ass to learn right. all this stuff on their own, right? So I think that it's really important – to kind of like gain, just do it, do it as much as you can and gain all that perspective. And it's funny because now I've been doing comedy double digits. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm at 10 years or maybe even 11 doing it a while. And now I see comics who are younger and newer and I see them applying these like goal oriented principles to comedy. And it just like, doesn't really work. Like no. when you're doing comedy three years. Like why are you networking? Right. <laughs> you shouldn't, yeah. you, the worst thing you could do is have someone watch you. <laughs> right now that's a good point yeah you know what i mean it's just like yeah. it's so hard to gain that that perspective to be able to do whatever it is you're going to do and i think it's it's weird and like almost counterproductive to try to set these benchmarks and stuff sometimes right it can be at least early on can, obviously can, if you're like i want to do a comedy album someday like that's fine you know what i mean but yeah can you think back to something that you asked when you were, you know, early on or just a memory of something you did or said of asks of someone uh, that you totally regret where it was like you were way too aggressive and forward. Like if you asked someone if you could open for them or ask some legend if they would watch your set or something like that. Right. I was pretty good about not doing that, um, but I did definitely do tons of embarrassing shit. I... Um, I got... Biz- I had business cards with my face on them. <laughs> i was told that that was important i was told that it was important because that's the only way a booker will remember you is if you give them your card and you have your face on it and i remember i actually gave it to like a girl one, a, a, like a couple times like like giving them my card and they're like what like why, what is this why is your face it was I don't, everything about it is humiliating <laughs> and also my website was pretty cringy i thought I don't. I don't know if the look the 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 cards thing was a common technique. I saw a, a handful of people do that. Okay. Yeah, I, I was given cards by random people, um, and so I, I think that's just a byproduct of how we you know how the business was structured or right. or one of the things back then. Think about how many people used to, how important it used to be to get people's emails. I know, I know. I guess it maybe is kind of still if you run a show. It may be, it may be. But like that but was, yeah. I ran a show at Gotham for years where we would pass a bucket at the end to get people's emails and do a $25 Starbucks drawing. And oh, it right. added this like four minutes of kind of gauche 
auctioneering to the end of what was a pretty good comedy show and it almost just like totally untied <laughs> the whole thing you know yeah. <laughs> and i hated it but we did it is that so, your example of being do you have a good like oh no i have way more examples i have way more i i, I mean i'm just like going for it look <laughs> it's it's this theory of ask forgiveness not permission right Right now, that there, there are first of all, that saying is like the most rapey saying that you could possibly come up with. <laughs> Ask permission, okay? Ask permission. I mean, when you're talking about like, <laughs> yeah. Ask forgiveness, not permission, is like the entire conceit of the Me Too movement and what yeah. they're going against. But anyway, <laughs> I, I used to, I used to believe, like my whole life, I've operated by the philosophy that. Um, you know, asking people for favors or putting yourself out there or, or trying to make connections that, you know, you're going to get more utility and more benefits from being too forward than the burn bridges will negate. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like by, by doing it, some people you're going to you're going to be off-putting to some people but you'll gain from it as opposed to being completely yeah. passive you're not you're not going to gain so many enemies and people who are like man fuck that guy fuck that he guy. asked me if uh, if he could do my podcast who does he think he is right you're going to get fewer of those people than you are going to get people who are like oh yeah sure and then those things will benefit you more right so it, 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 another way to put it was, I remember in lacrosse, our defense coach told us, make errors of commission, not omission. Like, make errors, fuck up going for it, not right. sitting back. And um, I, I do have an interesting one where I do remember blowing it and, and going somewhere where I shouldn't have, which was mm -hmm. when I was applying to law school. Uh, I, I was getting all these rejection letters, you know, Harvard, Yale, gone, all these places I thought maybe I had, I taught, told myself maybe I had a shot and I was waiting to hear from NYU and a family that I was tutoring, like the kid, they had, for some reason, they knew I was applying to law school and the mom mentioned that she was very close friends with a uh a professor at the law school a woman and i didn't i, I didn't even ask like hey could you put me in touch I, you know whatever i just like found this woman's linkedin the professor and then i wrote her an email and made up some bullshit about how i'd read one of her like books you know which was like a law school textbook right not exactly Harry Potter. And <laughs> then I was like, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with this family. I know you're friends with them as well. I was wondering if there was any chance you might be willing to write me a recommendation letter for New York University Law School, which at the time I think was ranked fifth mm -hmm. of all the law schools in the country. Wow. And this poor professor had to email me back because I was citing a connection to a family friend but then she also had to be like, eh, and by the way, I don't even write recommendation letters for like my nieces and nephews. I just stay out of it. So unfortunately, right. I won't be able to do this. And then the mom 
the mom who <laughs> told the family that had referred me to them what I had done and said that I had overstepped my my like welcome uh, ouch. but but never told me personally Oof, classic you want to hear the most insane part of this up, dude. the kid i was tutoring this is really fucked up like four <laughs> years later died of bee stings oh my god what that's so sad yeah i i probably didn't need to bring that up but that's that's what happened. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. He, Dude, he wow. got killed by bees. That's fucked up. And I don't think they were like murder hornets either. They might have <laughs> just been honeybees. Dude, that that's a funny. I have a very similar kind of story. But those kind of things like scar me. Like I think yes. back about them, and it makes me so uncomfortable. But before you move forward, let me let me placate those fears because for all the cringe and the tossing and turning that you've had to endure remembering those overstepped boundaries right there are so many gates that you've opened because you were forward totally and because you weren't worried about like playing by the rules and the propriety of approaching people and all that bullshit totally and all the like really successful people that i know all like figured out ways to kind of like sidestep the conventional method and did it their own way the exactly. whole thing outside the box all right so dude this is a good one though when i was teaching tennis in college um i was teaching in the hamptons in the summer and i was i was the the referee for this father son tournament it was a parent child tournament so they had something happen where they made it a tie for the finals and one of the guys who was tied was this guy jeff zucker who I think it was the head of NBC Studios. He's like a huge guy. Um, uh, so anyway, he was like, dude, this is bullshit. That it's a tie. My poor kid, like, what is this teaching my kid? That, like, he busts his ass and plays really well, and then he ties. Like, we should have an opportunity to win or lose, and if not, no big deal. And I was like, 100% agree. I got you. I didn't have to do that. I could have been like, fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. I didn't, even t- I didn't even teach this guy or his kid, like, at the club. So I went to bat for him and I got them there to be a, a match and they played and they won. Great. So blah, blah, blah. So then I, his wife was like, thank you so much. If you ever need anything, like just email me, let me know. I was like, Oh, yeah. thank you so much. So I emailed them and I was like, Hey, like, I was just wondering, I like, I was trying to get an internship and I wrote this whole like formal, which like, now that I look back on it, like writing a really, really formal email is just like a bad idea in general. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I hope this email finds you well. Like, it's just so cringe. So hard. And they never fucking responded. And I was so pissed about it. I'm so happy I get to talk about this in a public forum now. This is my moment, dude. The Zuckers. I felt so cringe about it and so bad. And I was so humiliated. And I think that they just straight up, like, ghosted me, never responded. I would see him at the club and fucking brutal. But isn't it funny, too, how we think that adding a tiebreaker tennis match for a father's son is the equal tit for tat of him getting you an internship at NBC. It absolutely is. He's the CEO of whatever. It was absolutely tit for tat. And the wife told me to email her if I needed anything. But she probably said that total. This is a Larry David. It's a Curb episode. 
it's it, she probably yeah right totally she she also might have meant like you know if you ever need what well, like what what do you think she was actually offering i think she was actually being uh, no i think it was some shit like she meant it when she said it and then when push came to shove and i actually followed up and i was very qualified i mean i was in school i was in a good school like i could have easily gotten you know what i mean yeah, I, I, and it probably wouldn't have been much skin off of their back to do it. It would have just taken ten minutes. It would have been a yeah. slight inconvenience from their wonderful, marvelous life. Dude, I, I, let me tell you something. When when people offer things, and then you follow up on them, and then they don't they don't follow through, and especially if they try to ghost you as you follow up sucks that makes me very angry i hate it too because look i get it right we all kind of our mouths sometimes outrun our ability to actually make things happen right and i've definitely offered things that i couldn't i, I i've what is it cat your mouth cashes checks that your money can't back up uh, or something I like that. whatever the fuck that saying is i've definitely offered those things but when i'm called upon it i will try to be honest and apologize and be like listen i may have spoken out of turn or like i'm just not able to do that right now and i apologize and i'm try i try to be transparent about you're it, right? really 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 good about it in my opinion well i appreciate that but I, it, it, it it's because i have dealt in numerous occasions in my life with people who offered me something and then i politely like followed through and followed the steps of what they had told me to do to make it happen, and then they disappear. Totally. And it drives me fucking crazy. I had this kid, once again, the whole law school thing. I, I, I needed a job, uh, like a law-related job, in order to uh, you know, prop up my candidacy for law school. And ultimately, I ended up getting a job as a paralegal at the district attorney's office, which was, which was good. But before what, what that- What year was that, by the way? I must have been in 2013 or 14. Was that when the DA was, was trying to bust that little Chinese bank? <laughs> Were you there for that? I don't remember that. <laughs> it was the only bank that got brought up on federal charges after the financial crisis, and they hadn't even done anything wrong. Oh, during okay. Um, Sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. It's okay. It may we I may have been there for that, but I was not part of the like big financial crimes. Gotcha. Uh, office okay. of the DA, and that that was a big part of their operation. Um, I was doing more of like street arrests. Gotcha. And, <laughs> gotcha. Dude, I mean, I saw some wild shit. Like, we had a dude come in <laughs> who, who ran a halal cart, and he'd racked up, like, <laughs> so many tickets for running his halal cart, like, in a, without a permit in the wrong street corners. <laughs> and he had, like, $875,000 worth of fines. Oh and, he and he came in with his, you know, public defender. <laughs> And they were like, listen, we've issued, the city's issued you like 78 tickets and you haven't paid a single one. And he, and he goes, he goes, $875,000. Where do you think I come up with this money? I don't have this money. Of course, I sell hot dogs. <laughs> it's really, like, I almost started laughing. Like the, he was like, he was like, are you out of your fucking mind? I can't pay this shit. 
That's She's hilarious. like, these are parking tickets worth more, almost a million dollars. <laughs> but, you know, they find some way. I guess, he, you know, he had to pay like, I don't know, $20,000, whatever it was. But, okay, the, the point is, before I got that job, I was, my, my sister put me in touch with a friend of hers from Yale who uh, was, I think he was like, uh, he had gone to law school and now he was working at his dad's law firm. And I had met this guy and told him that I wanted to go to law school. And he explicitly told me, hey, if you need a paralegal job or a job leading up to law school to help you, I could definitely help you get one at this firm. Right. And I was like, amazing. This is a great lead. So I sent him an email, reached out. The first email I wrote, he responded to. And he was like, absolutely, shouldn't be a problem. Like, I'll talk to my dad, yada, yada. And I was like, great. Thanks so much. Don't hear from him for, you know, a month. And I'm trying to, like, get this job. I need it. There's a timing thing. So I follow up. I write him a second email. No response. Oy. Two or three weeks go by write another email because by now I, I, I'm, I'm running out of time like I need right. this job so that I can lead up the, the year leading up to law school and dude I just never heard from this dude again uh, and I, I think at one point I might have even like messaged him on Facebook I may have texted him I had I had his phone number and he was he had told me to text he had responded to the text and he never responded again and it was just like I thought it was so cowardly yeah it is man. ghost a professional a kid too acquaintance like yeah I, I i think ghosting in relationships is pretty cowardly but on a professional level it's like why don't you have the just send me an email being like listen dude i'm like it's not gonna work out you don't even have to be fucking nice just end it right let me let me go off in search of other directions. Totally. Or just be like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I thought that I had it in the bag, but I don't, apparently. I'm really, really sorry. And, and then yeah. no hard feelings. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I would respect that. I don't get mad at people who are fucking honest totally. with me. Same, dude. And, and he, he, there's nothing wrong with that. Like He was like, I can get it for you. He, he believed it. Turns out he couldn't. So sorry, I can't. That's fine. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing is they make you feel like an asshole for continuing to follow up as if all of a sudden you're the dick who is out of turn by being so persistent. Right, right, right. I do. It's, it's, it's so, it's so infuriating. Yeah. Uh, anyway, dude, I have a question. Do you, this is a different topic, but I was thinking about this the other day and it was making me laugh when you're watching a documentary series, do you ever start picturing yourself being the main part, like the main point of the documentary and you just picture people interviewing, interviewing about you and they're like, you know, like, and, but it's about just like, uh, my life is not significant enough to have a documentary. So I'm thinking about the stuff it would say, they'd be like, you know, he was a, he was a nice kid. Uh, he always, you know, just, just like talking about my, like my personality or something. Do you do that? Uh, it's funny. <laughs> I, I don't, really envision a documentary about my life but i've definitely envisioned myself contributing in a documentary about someone or something else being interviewed for for something interesting um yeah but but it, dude it's, it's it's a good point like 
I've, I've thought about often writing an autobiography as like an ironic project. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man. Meaning like, you know, title it like the autobiography that nobody needed. An <laughs> yeah, a mem exactly memoir, memoir of a very uh, underimpressive person, like or a half-finished guy, you know? <laughs> Dude, it, Steven, totally. Steven Gerrard, one of the, you know, great soccer players, probably the greatest Liverpool soccer player ever, wrote an autobiography, I think when he was like 29, and I bought it. And I remember reading this thing, and granted, he had accomplished some incredible things up to that point in his career. But as I was reading it, I remember thinking like, this dude has at least like seven or eight more years of his career left. <laughs> like, what's he going to do? Right. If those years blow these ones out of the water, like why yeah. didn't he fucking wait? Totally. Totally. And it's a money grab. That's what it is. Right. That's a good, you make a good point though. It's like, if you have nothing to talk about, like I envisioned this documentary about myself, somebody being like, you know, he was a talented tennis player, but he just never really committed himself enough. It starts turning into my insecurities and my like regrets. <laughs> it's like, he just couldn't stop eating. Like that was his biggest problem. Like he just couldn't get the diet down and you know, 80% of it's in the kitchen. Just like hearing like self shame. <laughs> well, that's, that's a, that's a deeper seated problem that you're, you're now you're talking about like hearing voices and uh, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a, a troubling thought that you're, you're offering here. No, but I, I, I don't know. I do wonder if at some point my life will have become interesting enough that the details up to this point are worth mentioning. Right. You know, because like, right. yeah, I've, I've had a pretty interesting life. I, I think a relatively unique life. Yeah, uh, and sure. yet nothing that I've done so far would warrant a documentary or an autobiography. Right, right. I don't well, you know, like you said, man, it's early in the game. It's early in the game. We're, we're young yet. <laughs> Dude, let me ask you. I, I, okay, so here's something that came up today. Um... So, by the way, I've been getting more and more cameos <laughs> after we had that conversation. Really? And really? I upped my price, and they, they keep coming in. So, ah, fuck Love it. it. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's money that I care so little about uh, because I just think it's like fake money. and Like Monopoly money. And um, so I'm getting to a point now where I'm, I'm, I could buy myself something, or, or pretty soon I'll be able to buy myself something pretty sweet. From like cameo? a cameo? Yeah, for like a very rare pair of Jordans or, you know, something, something that I wouldn't justify buying with non-fake money, with real, right. with like money that I'd earned, you know? Right. By the way, do you ever have like fake in income streams? Like, do you, do you treat all your money the same? If you get like $100 for a tennis lesson in the cash, do you, do you look at that the same way as, you know, commercial residuals as the same as like a salary that you might be earning, et cetera. I've just gotten to the point where like, I have a little more wiggle room with that before I was just in such an insurmountable amount of debt that I never had like fake income streams. Like every dollar was needed to be procured appropriately. I see. Um, I see. But now, yes. Like for example, the real real is an example of that. Like I sell, I'll sell some shit. And if it sells, then that money in my brain is like fake money. 
It's fake money. Yes, yeah. exactly. There's, there's plenty of fake money. Like you go to a casino, you actually win money. It's fake money. Because you know right. what? Here's the thing, right? You're not going to put that cash. Cash is fake. Cash is not real. <laughs> cash has never been real. You know why? Because <laughs> when you spend cash, you get cash back. And that's, that's even more fake because it's smaller. God, God forbid you get change. The only thing change is good for is marking your putts on the golf course. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, when was the last time you looked at a quarter and you were like, well, I could do something with this? Yeah, no, you're right. It's only good for deciding, like, who has to sit in the back of a car. Flip a fucking <laughs> coin. That's all coins are good for. <laughs> that and marking putts on the golf course. But the point is uh, – <laughs> Dude, that's funny. You know what's funny, man? It's funny you say that because I agree now with the way that I treat change. But before I did, I had a moment that made me like that. Because before, I would actually carry all the change I had in my pocket. And sometimes okay. that would be like $2 of change. And I'd be in a convenience store. I, when I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we're in a convenience store and the thing I was buying was like a dollar 75 and I had all these coins and I start pulling them out of my pocket and counting it, and I notice her looking at me and I look over and she's just staring at me. She goes, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so since then I've never fucked with change again. Cause it was so humiliating. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like I was if you're running a lemonade stand or something. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, change is so childish. Change is so <laughs> such a child thing to have. But, but at the same time, I will say this, if you have, like I had a big mason jar in one of my older apartments that I would just dump all my change at day's end into. And, and by, you know, by the end of a year or two, you've got maybe $140 of change. And if you somehow have the patience and the daily motivation to take that to a coin star and turn <laughs> it into cash, you could theoretically buy something with it. And what you purchase with that money is very gratifying. Right. Scrounging up change and collecting change over the course of a very long period of time and buying something with that is a very gratifying purchase. Having said that, there's never been faker money than <laughs> your change jar. Nobody is putting quarters, dimes, and nickels into a mason jar and then putting that $140 towards their mortgage. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's not real. Nobody's starting yeah. a business with that. Nobody's paying off their credit card debt. That money is going straight into scratch tickets or fucking hookers. candy bars. Yeah, or hooker. <laughs> exactly. Dude, absolutely. I'm trying to think like what, like fake money, you know, there's so much... Is it, I don't think it's safe to say that all cash is fake money. But the reason that, like, in, in the few unlikely times that I've actually won real money at a casino, like one time I won $1,200, I think. Wow. And it was, you know, I had 12 $100 bills. Yeah, that's like a rare situation. But you can't put that into your – you can't go to the bank and deposit that because then, in theory, you would need to declare it for taxes. Right, right. So the best use that I the most real use that I can come up with for actually having cash that you've considered fake money is to keep it in a drawer and then use it to pay your cleaning lady. <laughs> oh my God. That's the, the best way to turn fake money into real money. Oh my God. That is because, funny. because when your cleaning lady you comes in cash, you need to pay her in cash and you need to run out to the fucking bodega, type in your security code. You never have cash when she's there. 
You need to type in your security code and then come back <laughs> with the 20s and be like, oh, shit, I'm running around. Here you go. So if you've got those hundreds of your casino money <laughs> and you have the discipline not to spend it on drugs and shit, you can use that to pay your cleaning lady for like half the year. And that's, that's pretty nice. That's yeah. very smart, dude. That is very clever. I feel like we worked on something. That was a pretty good thing we just talked about. I feel like I'm we worked that out. That. I'm impressed yeah. by that. I don't even know where we came from with all that. That was a life hack, dude. That was that was a pretty substantial moment. We just <laughs> that was solid. podcast. The cleaning lady situation. Dude, yeah. like, you're right though. When I have cash, like that's why when I do spots around the city and shit and I get paid in cash, that money's gone by the end of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Drinks, tipping all the staff everywhere, fucking cabs, and it's gone. Twenty-five dollars for a spot, you know? What am I supposed even to do? Even if it's with- more though, even if it's like weekend pay. It's still, it's not enough to make it through the night. Agreed. And I mean, with my girlfriend, 7,500, like if, unless you're doing like, if you're making 500 bucks in cash in a weekend, which I'm not doing typically when I'm doing spots in the city, if I'm lucky I'm making 150 bucks total on a Friday yeah. night. Yeah. There, the, the difference between getting a check and getting paid in cash is monumental. Mm-hmm. Checks are fucking real. Yeah. And you for anybody check, listening... The, the, there's a difference between the amount of money you get paid in New York City doing comedy club spots and if you're on the road doing a show. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. like real money if you're doing the road and you're headlining a club. But in the city, everybody does like 10, 15-minute spots and you get paid 75 bucks on the weekends, 25 during the week. And that's if you're getting paid. A lot of the time, you're yeah. not getting paid. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, fa- fantastic. Uh, do we have anything we wanted to talk about from the readers or no? I don't think we got listeners. anything this week or this particular episode, but keep keep sending your guys stuff in. This is one of my favorite episodes, though. We've done it a bit. I enjoyed this. Yeah, this was fun. Let's wrap it up there, guys. This is Oops the Podcast. As always, we really appreciate your time. We think we have a fantastic guest on uh, on our Friday episode this week. So stay posted for that. Uh, send your quarantine stories in to oopsthepodcast at gmail.com. You can also send us your thoughts on send us your stories of a time when you overreached, when you overstepped your boundaries, the boundaries of polite society, when you broke the unwritten rules of decorum to try to get a favor or a connection or to get ahead in life and how that worked out for you. Uh, follow Oops the Podcast on Instagram. I'm Francis. He's Julio. Any last words? Check out our YouTube also. Hell yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We love you, and we'll see you on Friday. Bye-bye. <laughs>